This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team ralph writes we were talking about the moment we knew the season was over on our last podcast ralph writes evan i've been listening to you all year and i think this includes uh, on the fan the moment you knew the season was over was when you were at the game with your dad and you saw the death of the season in his eyes that was the moment this is my first time emailing the rico i did say that on the air ralph um it was game one of the subway series at city field so it was you know relatively early on that was june and max scherzer was given a five to one lead they blew the lead my dad had an optimism the entire season because my dad's very big on you're never as bad as you are when you're bad you're never as good as you are when you're hot the old baseball cliche so sometimes the mets will be you know rattling off 11 in a row or be red hot and they'll say ah don't worry they'll cool off but he does the opposite when they struggle so the, over the course of the first few months, my dad had a very relaxed feel about the team. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And a lot of that was, they're just not this bad. Like, they may not win 101 games, but they'll be fine. And the first time I saw it tested, the first time I saw him realize, wait a second, I'm wrong, was when Scherzer and the Mets blew that 5-1 to lead at City Field against the Yankees. And so the comment I made on the air the next day, and Craig laughed, and I think the only I said, I looked into my dad's eyes. I saw the death of the season. Like I saw it in his eyes that he knew what this meant. So you're probably right, Ralph, for all the other games I bring up. The Saturday against the Blue Jays. The Saturday against the Red Sox a little bit later in the season. You want to go even earlier to that series in Detroit. Whatever we bring up, it probably does go back to that game at City Field when the look of death was in my eye. Or in his eye, I should say. Dan writes, this one's going to be painful for a lot of Mets fans, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was never one of these guys that ripped Jake for this, but here we go. Dan writes, do you think this sounds a little bit different today? And it's a quote from Jacob DeGrom. I was really excited when I met with CY, Chris Young, and Bruce Bochy. 
Hearing the vision of what the Rangers wanted to do, meeting owner Ray Davis and bringing a World Series here, that's the goal. They all have the same vision, and it's lined up with what I wanted to do. They showed a ton of interest, and I was interested in them. Now, he puts this quote out in an email because there were a lot of Met fans who, in taking shots at Jake for leaving, said, give me a break. How do you care about winning? You went to Texas. They lost this many games last year. The Mets won 101 games. You're a liar. And obviously, the Texas Rangers are now in the American League Championship Series, and we didn't even make the playoffs. Whatever reason DeGrom had for going to Texas, I mean, it's pretty obvious. They offered him a five-year deal. The Mets didn't even come close to that. You're always going to talk about winning. And you're always going to talk yourself into yeah, I've got a great chance to win there. And Texas always had a great chance to win. I'm not going to say it was better than the Mets coming into the season. I don't know if I thought that, but think about how aggressive they've been over the last few years and some of the star players they've added, whether it's Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon on offense, whether it is Jacob DeGrom, whether it is Nate Evaldi, who saw what they did at the trade deadline when they had pitching injuries, trading for Jordan Montgomery, trading for Max Scherzer. Like, yeah, they were trying to win. You know, and this is what we do sometimes as New Yorkers. When a guy leaves, we end up attacking their intent on winning. Like we did it with Robbie Cano when he left the Yankees for the Mariners, even if that turned out to be true. It's always, well, you don't take winning seriously. Maybe, maybe it's only for the money. But, you know, they're they're trying to win. They just spend a ton of money to add a certain player. Of course they're trying to win. We, We killed Carlos Correa for taking a, I guess, a, a different type of big deal with Minnesota and not taking a deal to come to the Mets to try to win with us and yeah. teams in the playoffs. Yeah, how'd that work out? One other email about the Rangers, Joe Cahill writes, Evan, I'm curious to know why you're rooting for the Rangers to win the World Series. Number one, I'm not, but let me read the rest of the email and I'll address that. I know you want them to keep playing so you can see Scherzer, that mercenary piece of crap, get lit up. And I look forward to that too. But if the Rangers win the World Series, DeGrom gets a ring. But so does Scherzer. So which feeling triumphs? Your love of DeGrom or your hatred for Scherzer? Joe and Shelton. Um, I don't want the Rangers to win the World Series. I do not. I will not even root for them in the ALCS against the Houston Astros. I will definitely root for the Astros. What I have said on the air is that I'm happy the Rangers advanced so that Max Scherzer can get his ass kicked. That, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I told this story on the air. I'm not sure how many people heard it, but it's in Met history. So I'd like to bring it up again. When the Mets won the World Series, and I'm pretty sure it's when they won the World Series, not when they won the pennant in Houston. Frank Cashin, of course, was the general manager at the time. And it's a famous story in history that Randy Neiman, a relief pitcher who went on to be a bullpen coach, was partying. And he poured champagne on the GM's head, Frank Cashin. And Frank Cashin was not exactly a party animal. Frank Cashin was Mr. Bowtie. And Frank Cashin turned to the reporters and said, and I'm paraphrasing, those who do the least party the most. And it was a cutting, cutting comment. And for now, that comment applies to Max Scherzer. He hasn't done anything for the Texas Rangers. He hasn't done anything in the postseason. In fact, his most important start he made against Justin Verlander and the Astros, he got bombed in. So him celebrating at that kind of level, while he's done nothing, only excites me 
for what Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman are going to do to him. And I hope they do all of it to him. So I'm not rooting for the Rangers. I just want Max Scherzer to make Ranger fans experience what he forced us to experience, which was disappointment and pain. So I am clearly rooting for the Houston Astros. Brian Smith lays it out. The case against Pete Alonzo. You ready for this one? It's it's well thought out and pretty good. Okay. Uh, hey guys, love the Rico. I know you both are all up on re-upping Pete, so I hope you read this, of course. But let me play devil's advocate. Evan floated a $250 million contract, could get it done, which would be a wild overpay by any metric one uses. Away from the 2020 COVID shortened season, Alonzo had his worst season by F war in his career. F war is Fangraph's version of war. First and foremost, Pete is already overvaluing himself. Pete's 2.8 war, primary top comps, Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman are better, more than double his war. And on team-friendly contracts, Alonzo finished 115th in Fangraph war and his batting average plummeted to 217 in 2023. This is concerning, especially when you look at Ryan Howard's career trajectory. Number one, Matt Olson, 6.7 war, eight years, 168. That's 21 per year. Freddie Freeman, a 7.9 war, six years, 172. That's 27 per year. Paul Goldschmidt, 3.7 war, five year, 130 million. That's 26 per year. Christian Walker, (coughs) excuse me, still arbitration eligible, 3.8 war. Yandy Diaz, 4.7 war, still arbitration eligible. Pete Alonso by year. 2023, 2.8, 2022, 3.8, 2021, 3.3, 2019, 4.4. Here's an excerpt from the Fangraphs article, which projects a six-year, $130 million contract for Pete. Those numbers were projected prior to Pete's swoon to end the season when his Fangraph war was a full point higher. But hey, there's a projection system on my computer, so I might as well ask it. And he runs some more numbers. If Alonzo were a free agent this season, Zips would suggest a six-year, $130 million offer. While that pales in comparison to some of the biggest contracts of last winter, those were mainly given to shortstops and to last year's AL MVP Aaron, Aaron Judge, it's a bit less than what either Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman received. Both had better projections when they signed than Alonzo does now. Alonzo is not a free agent, of course, and Zips would knock another 8 to $10 million off the deal because of the seasons of arbitration remaining. I honestly don't expect Alonzo to seriously entertain a six-year, $120 million offer. You are correct. I think that's what they offered him, and it was so wildly insulting, they never even countered. A uh, couple more points from Brian. Number two. Bringing in Scott Boris means Pete won't sign an extension anywhere near fair value and is clearly interested in signing with the highest bidder, LFGMB Dam. The Mets have done everything for Pete, which they didn't manipulate his service time as a rookie. They've allowed him to play in the WBC. I don't know about you guys, but I root for the Mets to win championships, not for Pete Alonso to get the most money. Cohen has earned your trust, especially after the DeGrom decision. Allow him to cook, as the kids say. By the way, he does write a lot more stuff, but I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep reading because we are very pro Pete. So we are hearing the other side of this thing. The argument that Steve Cohen is rich and should blindly meet Pete's demands is ignorant. The Mets have prioritized a youth movement after pivoting at the trade deadline. 
They are already subjected to loss of international signing money and lower draft position due to their excessive spending. So widely overpaying Alonzo because he was drafted by the team when his trajectory is probably closer to Ryan Howard would be too risky. I'd offer Pete eight years, $200 million, which includes the homegrown premium. If he sees that as an insult, I'd actively look to trade him. I would trade Pete, and now he gives out trade uh, ideas for uh, the Brewers and the Cubs. Uh, okay. Hoffman, stop calling Cohen Wilpon 2.0. Evan already took it to the woodshed on how incredibly ignorant that statement is, and yet you were on the overnight last night spouting the same nonsense. You called yourself one of the biggest Met fans, yet you can't see the difference? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. (laughs) Sorry, I ended with that. Listen, I had four hours on air that I had to fill, and I thought it was a good... Listen, I put that tweet out, and the reaction I got, it was like, I forgot how many impressions, like 400,000 impressions or whatever. I'm going to leave with the, my show with that. That's beautiful. That's what I'm looking for. Now, can I just say one other thing? Oh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Nobody right now wants to hear, well, I got a lot of impressions. That's why I put it out there. We are <laughs> Met fans doing a podcast. Do you believe that they are will, that Steve Cohen is Wilpon 2.0, not I got a lot of interactions on Twitter? Hold on, hold on. In my tweet, I said it, I got the feel that it's Wilpon 2.0. I didn't say it's definite, but... The sloppiness that's going on, yeah, of course, of a hundred percent. That's why I said yeah. it. That'll <laughs> let my show with it because I got a lot of hits. That's a different story. Now, but, <laughs> okay, but, but but hold on, hold on. Let me just get, take a step back here. First of all, this what's his name? His name is Brian. It was a well Bri- thought out email. Don't insult Brian. Bri- Brian, I, I take it back. Jimmy's not a dick. Brian is a dick. I gotta be, <laughs> and I mean it in a nice what? way. I mean it in a nice way. The Mets didn't go all out for Pete Alonso. They haven't bent over backwards for Pete Alonso. Have they really? Have they made this? Could they have bought him out of arbitration earlier? Could they have done? They could have done a lot of different things. They, they brought in Francisco Lindor and gave him top dollar, and have left Pete Alonso <laughs> just play out his contract. That's what well, they've done. Okay, so so the the letting him not manipulate service time. While I remember at the time appreciating that they let him start the season in 2019 as the opening day first baseman, now we know why. It was done because the owner knew it wasn't going to be his problem. I mean, think about it. Jeff Wilpon approved it with Brody Van Wagenen because in the back of his mind, he knew I'm selling this team in a year or two. I'm not going to have to worry about the extra year of service time with Pete. A couple of things. I don't think the Mets have ever aggressively tried to lock him up to a contract, which would have been beneficial to Pete, but also would have been beneficial to this team in that it could have looked like a team-friendly deal, sort of the way it worked out with Jose Reyes and David Wright. So I don't know if I agree with the Mets have done everything for him. And look, not that this is the Mets' fault necessarily. Pete Alonso has had how many different managers? Think about how many different managers he's had. 
He had Mickey Calloway, Luis Rojas, Carlos Beltran for a few months, Buck Showalter, and if he's on the team on opening day, there's another manager. He's also had a lot of GMs. So from Pete's perspective, I don't think he exactly feels like the Mets have treated him all that well. I want to attack the Ryan Howard thing. I don't like this comparison. And I don't like it because ask yourself this, Brian, and anyone else who brings it up. What is it based on? Based on the fact that Ryan Howard was an all or nothing player, put up massive home run numbers, and after the age of 31 fell off a cliff? Like, what has Pete done that makes you think he's going to fall off a cliff at the age of 31 years old? What, what is that based on? Based on their war? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why wouldn't we think, well, Pete will be similar to Paul Goldschmidt and that Paul's had some downer seasons, but then last year he also had a big season. Like, why would we make the assumption that he's going to turn into Ryan Howard? I don't understand that. Like, obviously, Ryan Howard and Chris Davis are the ultimate fears. The ultimate fear is you give Pete any kind of contract, and then he just loses it that way. And it becomes the the biggest albatross in Major League Baseball. But I look at Paul Goldschmidt, and I look at his time in St. Louis, and you brought up Paul's contract, which, yeah, I mean, if you can get Pete to agree to that right now, let's go. Paul was also 31 years old when he agreed to that contract. So he's a little bit older. Pete is not 31 years old. Pete isn't 30 yet. Pete's 29, 28 years old. I got to check out his official birthday. He's going to be 29 and starting next season. So. Okay. So two years younger than Paul Goldschmidt. And when you look at what Paul Goldschmidt has done, his numbers have not been as good as what they were in Arizona, but they're still good, <laughs> you know, especially 2022. But outside of 2022, he still was going out at 30 home runs a year. He still had an OPS in the mid to high eights. Like Paul Goldschmidt's 35 years old right now. And if Pete Alonso ages like Paul Goldschmidt and at age 35, it's 270 with 25 home runs and 80 RBIs, I think we'd be like, all right, it's not the worst thing in the world. So I, I don't love why there's an assumption he's going to turn into Ryan Howard. I don't get that one at all. Here's my other problem. I respect, I do, I respect that you did all that research and you looked at war. And I have to admit, even I, at this point in my life, of course I look at war. But I'm also confounded by it. Like, I'm confused by it. You watch Pete every day, I watch Pete every day. Like, Matt Olson had an amazing year this year. So I don't want to pick on Matt Olson. Matt Olson was tremendous this year, and he was better than Pete Alonso. No doubt about it. But when you look at Yandy Diaz's war and you look at, and Christian Walker had a good year too, or even the year Paul Goldschmidt had this year, and you look at his war, are you really telling me, in your opinion, that that guy was significantly better than Pete? Like that's, that's the part of war that you could print it out and you could look at it on fan graphs. I can't digest it and I'm watching the guy every day. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't add up and it didn't even add up last year when Pete was having a good year. I also don't think that I have any evidence that at age 29 years old, 30, 31, 32, 33, no matter how long this contract is, I don't have any evidence that he's breaking down. And I don't think looking at other first basemen necessarily means he's going to break down. You know, Pete has had a really good history of staying on the field. 
Somehow he has. He has stayed on the field, and he's been productive. And he hits a lot of home runs, and he goes through slumps. And this year had a bad batting average year, even though his career batting average is significantly higher than what he did this season. I would agree with this. When I said 250 gets it done, well, yeah, it gets it done because he'd say yes. And Scott Boris would say yes. Do I think ultimately they're going to have to pay him $250 million? Probably not. I think the magic number is getting to $200 million. Now, obviously, you lay out these contracts. Matt Olson isn't at two hundred million. Freddie Freeman's not at two hundred million. Paul Goldschmidt's not at two hundred million. So, <laughs> it's still pushing it to even get to that number. But I think that's the number it would take to get it done before he gets to free agency. Yes, he is now all about the money. Yes, there's no LFGM discount. That's gone. The Mets had their opportunity at that. They never. They didn't go as far as Pete and his agents wanted to go. So it's not going to happen. So you lay out all these numbers, and I ask you this. Is there a team in free agency that's going to be quote-unquote dumb and give Pete more than that? Because Pete doesn't have what Aaron Judge had. He's not as good as Aaron Judge, and he's a star for us, but is he a star for anybody else? Is he a star around baseball? So... Is he even going to get that from another team? And if that's the case, then the Mets could just win the bidding war a year from now. Yeah, but here's my question to you, okay? We talk about, you know, a smaller contract with, you know, AAV being X amount of money. Um, Would he take a shorter deal with more money front-loaded? Like if it's three years, $110 million. You know, would he take that from the Cubs? Or would he take a six-year deal for 120? I think that at this point in his career, he's going to look for years. Years is going to be a big deal. And I don't have the same worry that he's going to become Ryan Howard at age 33, 34, 35. So I wouldn't even be scared of kind of doing what they did with Nimmo, which is we're going to give you even more years, but it's going to bring down the AAV, which is the key to all this. Because he's talking about penalties that you face from a luxury tax standpoint, well, that's a part of why you give a guy a longer contract. So I wouldn't even be afraid of that. But and, I appreciate the email, Brian. It was a very good email. I disagree in terms of, I guess, how you value him. Because I I just have a tough time digesting baseball reference and fan graphs war as the end-all, be-all on what you should pay the guy. Especially when you watch the guy every day and you've seen him grown defensively. I think he's getting better every single year. And, and by the way, you know what backs that up? The defensive metrics. Like, I still think he's underappreciated defensively, but the defensive metrics have at least shown he's gotten better year after year, and I expect that to continue. Appreciate the emails. Of course, anytime, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening as we trudge through the postseason and finally crown a World Series champion, and then we can move on to what really matters the New York Mets offseason. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>